Hey, what's up, sci-fi fans? This is Aaron Eisenberg. You know me from Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Nog, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Thank you all. This episode brought to you by Michael Crate and James Husband. Special love goes out to Lee Kemp, who manages our Facebook page. If you like what you're hearing here on the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way. And by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today. Audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I'd say we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, where we're going, we don't need Rose. Yes, who's coming to dinner? Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. I'm Lizzie Rappensberger. And I'm Dave Sellers. And uh, we are so glad to be here. Em will be joining us, at least it's our understanding. She got called into a conference call, you know, wearing her big girl pants as she works, and the rest of us play here tonight. Uh, but we are excited tonight. It's been uh, We're just glad to be here, period, because it took us, a, what, 40 minutes to get into the show. Oh, had my a, gosh, had, yes. Had a terrible uh, buzzing going on. I'm not sure what, what was happening. I couldn't hear Dave. And then Dave, like, unplugged stuff and just, wor- just worked his magic. So that's, that's basically it. So, all right. So, uh, so why don't we go ahead? We, tonight, um, we are are we talking Star Trek Into Darkness? Is that right? That is yes. correct. That's correct. So, uh, um, how do you want to take this? Uh, I know that we have Game of Thrones and we have like Avengers. We're going to do an Avengers show down the road and probably talk about Game of Thrones down the road too. So, uh, let's not do that tonight. Let's just jump right into talking Star Trek. Is that okay, guys? Let's do yes. it. Let's do it. And oh, uh, yeah. Miles, I assume because I don't have the show notes up in front of me, but I assume that you have a uh, summary of the of the show, of the movie, right? I do, and um, the box office stats. Oh, why don't you give them to us? Let us let us hear those. A series of terrorist attacks on Earth places Captain James T. Kirk on a mission to deal with the culprit. Nothing is as it seems as the Starship Enterprise is entangled in covert machinations to ignite war between the Federation and the Klingon Empire with an ancient enemy in the mix. With alliances tested and relationships strained and differing motives clashing, how costly will the thirst for vengeance prove? And we we have uh, it, it, it didn't didn't make a make some good money. It was budgeted roughly we're thinking around 190 million dollars. Uh, opening weekend, it took um, over seventy million dollars. In the United States, it grossed uh, almost two hundred twenty-nine millions, two hundred twenty-nine million, and then uh, worldwide, it grossed um, uh, a little over four hundred sixty-seven million. So it was a commercial success. It was. it was, yes. So that must mean it's a great movie, right? One would think, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> You would think with, but yes, if if box office receipts are high, then then critical acceptance must be high as well. But as we know, we're in an alternate timeline. Right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, before we get into the uh, the nuts and bolts of the movie, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we thought the message were, key moments for us, maybe things that really rubbed us the wrong way. Um, 
Did everyone here see it in theaters first time? Yes. Oh, yeah. And yep. Chrissy, did you? I'm trying to think. I'm not sure that I did. Okay. I think I saw it with you, Miles. Did I see it with you? I might have. We, I, I don't remember. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, well, that was 2013 the movie came out. That was like ancient history. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what I had for lunch today, so we're good. Let's talk about uh, just our general initial impressions of it, and then we can get into like the nitty gritty of the uh, of the movie and what we thought. You know, going back to rewatches, and uh, I don't typically start. I'll start this time, uh, and then Chrissy, I'm going to put you on the hot spot next, and then we'll just go through the uh, people that are uh, real trekkies here. Um, <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, I, I say that. I say that uh, in all love and fair, and I, I, I love Star Trek, but I am nowhere near the caliber of love of Star Trek that Miles and Dave have. And Chrissy, I believe, are you, you in agreement with that? I, I would agree with that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So, I was, uh, we just got YouTube TV. I cut, I, I, we had Dish Network, and I got rid of Dish Network, uh, and I decided to go with YouTube TV, and then they raised the prices slightly bitter, only $10, but they still raised the prices. But I was paging through the movies. And I was like, oh, look, Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, I have to watch that for next week. So I, I watched it, right? So I did watch uh, the, 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 the um, one I watched was formatted for television, as they say. But, you know, is basically the movie. And, you know, rewatching this again, I really did enjoy it. Kiefer came and watched the second half and he, he liked it. It really was engaging. Uh it's a really good it's a really good action movie with some cool starship battles and uh so, some kick-ass starships that are flying around and and Doctor Strange it's actually it's just a phenomenal movie so yeah yeah Doctor Strange in there, yeah. Yeah, Doctor Strange in there, you know, the circles. It's, it's great. Uh <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was I I really enjoyed it. Chrissy, how about you? I would say that I really I'm very this is a movie that very much tears me in two different directions where on one side i really do like it i really liked the character development of the film i liked if we took out the con piece i like pretty much like the most of the the plot in the film there's a couple of little spots that irritate me um like dying and triple blood and all that other nonsense um but overall i i would give it a good solid like a B, a good solid B. Ooh, she's rating the movie already. Uh, <laughs> we didn't get the rating yet. <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot to get an A from me, I will say. Right. So, like, the fact that it's a B. Princess Bride would get an A. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah. Very good. Miles, how about you? I'm conflicted. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I agree a lot with what Chrissy said. I think it's it's a well- it's it's a well written um, movie. The act the acting is fantastic. You have some really, I mean, you have one of the best actors in the world playing your bad guy, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, it, the the action scenes are top notch. There is some good Star Trek in here, but I'm gonna just I'll, I'll already go ahead and, and say one of the things I don't I do not like about this film. Uh, this film tries to be a retelling of. Uh, the, the story of Khan Noonien Singh from the TV episode uh, Space Seed and the movie uh, Wrath of Khan, and it doesn't do a good job with that. Uh, it should have, if you're gonna if you're gonna do a retelling of the uh, of that story, 
more time should be given to that and, and it should be developed better. Um, I don't want to say it was an afterthought, but it didn't get the attention that deserved. And uh, there's a, there's a scene in the movie that we will get, we'll get to that. I think um, the emotional impact they tried to put in there, it's not earned yet. Uh, when they did it originally in Wrath of Khan, it was earned, but not here, um, which which we get to, le- which I want to get to later. Um, but it's still an enjoyable movie. So I'll, I'll just, I'll, 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 I, like I already stated, um, I, I don't think it's a good retelling of um, the Khan story in Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, and and the scene where. It's a, it, you have the character switched where it, it's it's Kirk that makes the ultimate sacrifice to try to save the ship, uh, and and he, as opposed to Spock and Rathacon, and then you have Spock and Kirk having their their um, last moment as the other one dies. I don't believe that moment is earned in this film. Um, they they're friends, but they don't know each other that long. Um, they're. I mean, Kirk and Spock's friendship is like twenty plus years in in the prime timeline. Their friendship here is is maybe three years or so, give or take. So, again, I say I don't think that scene was earned and deserved deserved yet. Um, but uh, like Chrissy said, I think the movie does get a solid B. It, it is an enjoyable movie. Uh, there, there are some great performances all around. Uh, particularly with Benedict Cumberbatch, and, and I'm going to highlight Simon Pegg. Uh, I thought uh, he went above and beyond um, in this film. All right. Well, Dave, tell us your thoughts. The the first time in theaters, I loved it. I had a couple issues, but I, I got past it because I was excited to see this new Star Wars, sorry, Star Trek movie. <laughs> In uh, in the theater again, um, and every time I watch it again, I get more and more angry at the unnecessary, just, just all the unnecessary stuff that's in this movie. And every time I see when after the the, the initial attack or it at the uh, at uh, with a, with a, against the captains and everything, the admirals there at Starfleet at the Daystrom Institute and cons in the little hovercraft ship. And he magically disappeared, beams out. Great. Until you find out it beams across half the freaking quadrant. Now, I, I, okay. Alternate timeline or no, I, I don't care. The distance between earth and the Klingon homeworld didn't change. That, that just completely negates any need for a starship. I, I, it annoyed me at the, at the time I saw it. It annoyed me again today. I'm feeling the nerd rage boiling up to a to unattainable level here. But that, that always bothered me. Dave, repeat after me. Namaste. 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 No, go ahead. <laughs> Serenity now. Serenity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, um, go ahead. If they would have left Benedict Cumberbatch's character as John Harriman that would have made the movie damn near perfect. But they decided for whatever reason to throw the little fan fandom a bone and make him con, which was completely unnecessary to me. He's 
you took a guy, a character who was based in, who was Indian from India, his character played by a man of Mexican descent. And you replaced him with a white Anglo British guy. Great. He did a great job, but it's not con. In in their defense, it is Benedict. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, the man can do no wrong. And 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 he has a freaking hot British accent. Come on, I the, I would agree. That's with just that. uh, Dave. There's no argument there. So go on. Next point. Although he can't narrate, so he cannot narrate anything about. <laughs> no, don't ask him about penguins. Penguins. <laughs> Dave, I, you know what? I, I, I that that's that's a criticism I have too, and I think they would have solved that if just they had one line that that, that he, he says. When I woke up three hundred years later, um, I had a different man's face, and my memories were taken away from me. Something, anything, just to give some justification for that. There you go. There you go. No, or, or even even if you leave him as as as. John Harriman or whatever, who's one of Khan's guys. That too. Okay. Yeah. And now you're setting yourself up because now every fan knows, oh, this guy came off the Botany Bay. Holy crap. And, you know, maybe you do a few little better movies and you can actually have a few more sequels and actually bring Khan out for real at some point. Well, I, I guess but, I, I hear what you're saying and I hear Miles I hear what you're saying and I don't think that we even need him to be con. Like there's nothing right. in this story that demands con. He is, he can still be th- frozen for 300 years. He can still be a super soldier from a pre whatever, uh, mm-hmm. time of the, uh, the empire slash, uh, whatever they call the U S whatever. Uh, but you know, they, he can still be that. And there yeah. can still be clones frozen, and nothing of that necessarily has to be con. Yes, well, absolutely. And so, so for me, just having him as John Harrison, this becomes a movie of a terrorism. B, how do we respond to terrorism? Uh, and, and you know, in all of that, like I don't know that right. we need personally well, need him to be con. A fun bit of trivia is that when they were writing it they actually did say to themselves they need to because i was a little bit curious i'm like why on earth did they do this seriously so they wanted to make it so that he didn't have whatever for their weird logic was they needed to write it so that it didn't have to be con and then if they could do that they would make him con and i read that and i was like but why did you it's not keep him it, not. He con. doesn't have to be con. He's Benedict like, Cumberbatch. Like, like that's what I didn't understand. I was like, so you wrote it so that it wouldn't have to be, but then you made it that way. And the whole big build up to I am con, like, why did we need this whole big build up for the fan base and being super secretive about it? I'm like, there there was no there was no emotional payoff in the film like the characters heard him say i'm con and they're like oh, okay well the truth yeah. is i mean this it, it kind of got out months before the film came out that um that cumberbatch was con and there's even some scenes from the movie that leaked online um i, I remember uh so that, that that didn't help the studio either no 
No, it, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I, that's I, like I, I don't con. No. So, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, he, he does, Ben and Cumberbatch does a fantastic job. Um, them trying to mix him as con does convolute stuff. But if you take out the con parts of it, oh yeah, he's a great villain. Oh yeah, and uh, on a vendetta, pissed off at the Federation, you know. Yep. And it's a pretty good revenge story. And maybe if the parallel you had that it's a revenge story, which is similar to Con, maybe that's enough. Yep. Without yeah. him being Con. Yeah, that's what I keep saying. Benedict Cumberbatch for Grand Admiral Thrawn, Star Wars movies coming up. Yeah. Well, there you go. I like that. I like that. I, I do too. No, I'm, right. I'm actually falling under the weather, so like I'm having severe brain fog right now. Oh, yeah. um, Take some more medication. You'll be better. <laughs> <laughs> no, that didn't make it sound like I have like a drug problem or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just take some more medication, and and yeah, and the show will be much better. No. <laughs> I'll right. be able to do a couple of times now. Um. Yeah, like I really loved the the characterization that building that they did in the film, and that's what made it so so good for me. Um, the interactions between Kirk and Spock, and between Ahura and Spock, like him telling her in the ship you know, why he, at that moment of of almost death at the beginning, had chosen not to fill. I was just like, my goodness. Every every nerd girl's like, yep, yep, that's that's right there. Give me that love speech. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, if that's not how to win a nerd girl, I don't know. All you need to make some notes. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll remember that in the future. Yeah, definitely. So I, I have a question for you, and this is really geared toward, uh, I guess, uh, you Star Trek nerds we're podcasting with tonight. Um, the uh, <laughs> So we have the beginning of the movie, right? Where they are on this planet, right? Uh, stealing some scroll, interfering with the life, and then uh, breaking the prime directive, you know, a thousand and one yeah. different ways. Not only they are they impeding to some sacred right, uh, they're stopping a volcano and they allowing them to see their ship. A thousand and one things went wrong. See, I'll, I'll, I'll put this scene over big time. I think that... I- fantastic scene i think it's very star trek original series in a lot of yes. ways well and yeah uh, and, and i agree i agree so it for me it comes down a bit odd when when admiral pike you just just hands kirk or whoever's in charge just hand kirk hands kirk the ticket out because this seems very much captain kirk the type of stuff he would do and the type of stuff he's been doing and suddenly they're well, going to come down all hard on him. Well, uh, th- this uh, this is my thinking. I mean, th- they're kind of addressing the kind of the elephant in the room. We, we're giving a a cadet the keys to the Enterprise. Now, granted, this cadet this was a problem Earth. you had, Dave. Right, handing him the cadet, <coughs> a big one, yeah. a big one. So they're addressing it. This movie, you should be happy, Dave. Well, but my thought is, oh yeah, well, Steve. This is what happens when you give the 15-year-old the keys to the car. <laughs> See, by the time Kirk is doing this in the original series, he's a seasoned officer, and he, he's found a way to kind of get away with that kind of stuff. But it, but I like this scene because, th- like you said, Scott, this is Kirk, where 
for Starfleet and the Federation, the, the prime directive is, it's like religious doctrine. It's, it's gospel for Kirk. It's a, uh, guideline and he interprets the, the prime directive as, you know, he sees fit and for him sa- saving these, these people is more important than, um, following the prime directive to the letter and letting these people die. I, I, I will say though, that, that with this movie, the, the one redeeming part that it has for me, and it would be, it still is better suited for, for the, the TV series than, than a feature film, but you're getting to see this hotshot kid who has just skated by on sheer luck that he hasn't had people under him getting killed yet. And he's finally starting to get that dose of reality. The, the, the one final scene with him in the engine in the engine room, a little exaggerated for my liking, but I like, I did enjoy kind of how they built the character Kirk's character in this to get to that point where now he can, he is finally understanding. Oh crap. I need to start taking this seriously. I just got, you know, bumped down, transferred to another ship. I lost my first command. And then now I'm realizing what it means to be a captain and having to be the one to sacrifice for my crew instead of charging them ahead into God knows what. I think, I think it made him a lot more cautious, which, and season and it gave him a, a good dose of, of growing up and some seasoning, which you do see in the next movie. Yeah, he does. Yeah. You're right. He, he does mature. This movie does mature Kirk throughout the film. Yeah. I mean, like, like what you said, he, he he's getting by on his abilities and sheer luck alone. And that now he he's facing things that he can't, um, yeah. he doesn't have the answers for, he doesn't know what the right thing to do is. And, um, he, he th- th- this movie he does grow up a lot more and uh, um good point yeah and the same with spock i mean even even in the prime timeline he had at least one or two five year missions with captain pike on the enterprise before he even got to kirk so he's still dealt with all of those early emotional issues as a vulcan half human back before we ever really got to see him on right. screen and looking through the, the, the timeline, because I'm a big enough nerd that I like to go and find out what the timeline is compared to the original one and how everything kind of got, did get jostled around in the JJ verse, but Spock didn't have all that, that time to really figure out his emotions, figure out what he, what he's going to, you know, what he does with them. Well, I get that, yeah. But even a, this the screaming con is just too much of a try for a of just a, a, a pat on the fans back rather than something nice. I think I, I don't know. No, I agree. And, and for me, that scene they didn't earn that scene. It, mm-hmm. um, it they, they they Spock and Kirk are not there in their friendship and relationship yet. That uh, um that that should be happening. But they, like I said that. That they're trying to retell the the con story and yeah, it's yeah. not doing well. Still, no. still, again, if you don't, if you again taking the con story out, he there's a sense that Kirk in the first movie, Kirk kind of earned 
the respect of Spock a little bit. Um, at least so much that he decides that he wants to come on and be um, his first officer. Yeah, his first officer, right? And then, then in this movie, he's still kind of that. You know, they come back and they rescue him. They will. They don't leave him behind. There's a sense of developing loyalty uh, that Kirk is kind of developing. Um, is it strong enough for that friendship? I don't know. Uh, but one of the things that's makes this Spock both in both uh, the in both movies that we reviewed of this timeline so far different from the original Spock is we see a much more emotional Spock. Um, a Spock that is uh, wrestling with, dare I say, perhaps embracing his human side. I mean, listen, we have him and Yerhora hooking up uh, and even though they're kind of on the outs at the beginning of this, or at least because of the first incident in the movie, there's still a love connection there that suggests a much more emotional Spock than the Spock we had. So this is a very different Spock than we saw in the original series uh, because he's much more in tune with his emotions. And- well, remember, in the last film, what happens to him? I mean, he, uh, Nero destroys his planet. Uh, he loses his mother. Uh, he, he, I mean, as... right. He's he's emotionally compromised. He 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 has suffered a major tragedy. Well, exactly. Life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, because of that, he who are his people? He's lost most of his people. Who are his people? His people become the Enterprise, and perhaps, maybe, arguably, uh, much more so because of what happened in the first movie. Yeah, right. And so you might make you might be able to make. We need our psychologist to speak in here. Uh, but arguably, <laughs> arguably to, you know, he, he's drawing these people. These people are much more family to him than, you know, he's lost so much of his other family. Well, you're right. The, the trauma of, I mean, that would have been like the most traumatic event that I think you could possibly imagine losing your entire planet, your people, your culture. Your mom. Um, yeah, like literally, I don't think you could take much more from a person. So it's entirely possible that in his grief, the way that he coped would have been to develop a strong emotional attachment to the people on the ship. Um, and so you would have seen someone, I mean, like I, I certainly am not a psychological expert of half Vulcan, um, half human. <laughs> But in in terms of human development, you know, trauma can help foster a lot of interpersonal growth if you're able to cope with it well. In other ways, it may very much emotionally stunt you. So, and I would imagine having grown up on Vulcan, where the only person to teach you how to handle your emotions is your mom, there probably would have been some emotional enmeshment there. Um, Just... That's how it would have gone. Yes, I did say that Spock and his mom are emotionally matched. You can all nerd rage about that later. Where's um, Freud in this? <laughs> I, I didn't say there was any sort of Oedipus complex. I did not say that. I said attachment. There's a difference. Um, you all can take that little carrot and run with it in another direction. I will not be going. I bet there's that. fanfic about that. No, neither, neither will I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um... 
but I do, I would say that, you know, it probably, it does make sense. He would have a very strong emotional attachment, much more so, much more quickly than, you know, in the original series. My problem with these sorts of things is that if I have to go outside, like really go outside of a film and start like pulling in all this other stuff in order to make sense of it, that's when sometimes films will start to like lose me because I want them to show me. I don't want to have to go to research it to understand it. So if, if they were going to say, you know, this is your family, this is, you know, this has become my home, then I feel like the movie should have done a little bit more, like just a couple, like just pull it out just a little bit. Like it was going in the right direction. It just didn't go quite far enough. And if you step just a little bit further, you know, like Dave saying, you know, oh, if they just had one line for him to like explain away his like face and memories and all this other stuff, you know, if Spock had just had like maybe like one or two lines that really could have carried that speech that he gave Ahura just a little bit further, then, you know, the payoff may have been earned, you know, with him. And I also don't think that Kirk needed to die to quite elicit that emotional response from Spock, you know, if he was traumatized from losing his family, then even the thought that he may have to face losing someone he considered family would have probably been enough to set him right over the, that edge of rage. True. So true. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There, there were, there were just like little, little things like that bothered me. I was like, did you really need to kill him off just because you wanted to mimic Khan and have a 2.0? Like just it, that movie probably would have an A for me if they didn't do it that way. Like if they had just been, because for me, I'm like, look, the point of having an alternative universe is to tell alternative stories. So why are you retelling a story that's already done? Uh, Kurtzman had to get written into his magic blood somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, here's the other thing. Like they don't really recognize Khan, quote unquote here, air air quotes making Khan. They, they, They don't realize they're suspicious of him, but they don't really recognize how evil he is until we get Spock Prime, you know, telling telling the crew, Spock and Kirk, that, oh, he was the worst villain he's ever faced, you know. And then somehow that it seems like um, they needed that handed to them instead of that discovering it themselves. Now, great. Granted, I love the fact they brought Spock Prime back in. You know, it's the last time we see Spock Prime in a Star Trek um, a movie, you know? So yeah, and that, that, I, 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 I was stoked for that. But they could have done it another way, in my opinion. But Well, you know, some people said they wasted Leonard Nimoy in that scene. You know, I don't care. If, if you could call it a waste, call it a waste. <laughs> like, you, like you said, he's going to be, you know, he, sadly, he, he passes away in a few years. And that's, that's his last... Uh, Last of anything to do with Star Trek, uh, it's a nice little scene between Spock Prime and and, and Kelvin Timeline Spock, and it, it serves a purpose. I mean, in in the space seat episode, they had a historical expert that kind of kind of filled in the gaps who Khan was in the twentieth century and uh, what what he meant and what he was like. Um, so that 
you know, that's what that's that's what they use Spock Prime for is kind of kind of give that exposition, if you will. Hmm. All right. Well, let's move on. What other what other uh, parts of the movie did you enjoy? Did you not enjoy? Did you have problems with or? Um, yeah, we can take that any direction you want. I liked uh, Pike and Kirk's father son relationship. I mean, I mean, this is where Chrissy would have some input. I mean, Kirk does in this in this timeline. Kirk doesn't have his real biological father, and so Pike has been kind of that surrogate father to Kirk that we see when Kirk loses him after uh, Khan destroys that uh, you know shoots down that that meeting room with uh, all those Starfleet officers. Uh, I was sorry to see them kill off Pike in this, but it, it, it serves the purpose to kind of push Kirk over the edge and for Admiral Marcus to then exploit uh, Kirk for his own uh, nefarious uh, uh, ends. Yes. Yeah, I like their relationship too. I always liked, uh, was it, is it Bruce Greenwood that plays yeah. him? Is that right? Phenomenal job, like as a father figure, both in this movie and in the prior movie. In fact, in the first movie, arguably, he has some of the best lines in the bar. Uh, of the movie and uh, once again we find ourselves in the bar and he's like you know rallying Kirk back to Starfleet so. well it's interesting in this movie I mean Pike has to be the one to dress Kirk down and demote him but at the same time Pike comes back to kind of you know um, build Kirk back up and give Kirk a chance to redeem himself right and Pike has to do it at some sacrifice to himself he has to be demoted and you also see Pike still with a cane, so he, he his injuries are either permanent or not recovered from his experience on the Narada. Um, but I, but yeah, I, I like that 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 uh, that scene in the in the bar with 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 Pike and Kirk and Pike. Even though he did tear him down, he he's he's building him back up again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, other moments, Chrissy, Dave. Um, oh, Dave, you go. No, I was just gonna say, I love the USS Vengeance. <laughs> That's <laughs> just an awesome ship. <laughs> when you first see it, do you know what? When the first time you see that rise out of the clouds there, uh, when they come after the Enterprise or whatever, I am like, it, it's the same feeling I had when you're on when when. When the uh, resistance is on Hoth and you see the the Adats walking for the first time, they appear. You're like, yeah, they're pretty well screwed. Yep, that's it. That's it. No more it's Enterprise. A no crap moment. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a no crap moment. They, they released this ship on Star Trek Online as one you can unlock. I can't tell you how long and how hard I worked to unlock that ship, <laughs> and it was worth every bit of it. Yeah, it was great. And now, got a little one that came with the the uh, Into Darkness Steelbook Blu-ray set. That's awesome. Oh, you got yeah. it too. Yeah. <laughs> so question for you on that. Do we ever get any hints anywhere in the Star Trek verse of a ship like this existing? Or is this purely Abrams creation? Yeah. Well, purely. It, I mean, there's been talk of dreadnought starships and, and, and stuff like that, but we've never seen them on film. Were they in the novelizations? Uh, yeah, you you might you you had mentions of of, of you know, Starfleet may have a, a like a, a a super battleship here and there, but it um, 
but it was more like the the the, the Constitution class ships were were considered the you know the the main line, line of defense. Uh, I think the yeah the closest I think we ever got was in the series finale of Next Gen when they jumped into the future and Enterprise D was retrofitted with that third nacelle and that giant phaser cannon underneath of it. Yeah, that was the closest we ever saw to some to something like that. Mm. Yeah. 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 Another cool ship in Star Trek Online too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this is a uh it truly was an impressive ship and uh to have Simon Pegg like still away on it just made it all the more worth it. Watching him run down that whatever he was running that hallway to hit that, that airlock. Right. Just <laughs> 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 Oh, Simon Pegg. I, I, I will say he, he's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's I, a start. Go ahead. I enjoyed his performance throughout the film. I thought using him to object to these mysterious torpedoes being brought on the ship was an interesting choice. And having him stay behind because he, you know, quits, quits his job, but you know, he, you know, he Kirk still manages to talk him into um, helping him expose this thing. And, um, no, it was just, I think Simon Pegg just, I mean, he, he just, uh, he deserves an attaboy for that, for, for, for his performance in this film. Well, that, that was, Go that ahead. was going to be a part that I was going to mention is one of, one of the parts I really liked was when he objected to the torpedoes being brought on board and not being able to inspect them and things like that. And, you know, I just felt it was really good for the character as having almost like he, he has his, his ethics, his morals. And his thing is, I will not. I cannot stand by and let you bring on, you know, weapons or anything on my ship that I do not, I can't inspect myself because I am responsible as the engineer to make sure that everyone on the ship is safe and I can't do my job if you don't let me look. And that was, I thought was a really, like that made me respect the character a lot. Um, especially coming from a field where, you know, ethics is like the all end all thing. So that earned me a lot of respect. And I really liked that he, you know, stood by. But then when Kirk, you know, still reached out to him, there was still the loyalty that he had to Kirk to be like, well, I'm giving you a hard time about him. Like, well, I guess I was right. Now you need my help. So yeah, I'll help you out. But I'm going to remind you of this later. It's kind of the tone. Right. And, and notice how Scotty could get away with calling Kirk, you know, when Kirk, he called Kirk, Kirk a crazy bastard and Kirk, you know, Kirk doesn't, uh, you know, throw him under the rug for uh, insubordination. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody, uh, maybe it's just me that picked it up. When Kirk, after Scotty quits, Kirk tells Chekhov, hey, you're my new chief. Go put on a red shirt. <laughs> Yes. Was it just me that saw just a slight look of terror in Anton Yelchin's face in Chekhov's reaction to it as an oh no, that's yeah. the wrong color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And what's eerie about that is that this is the last movie we see him in. Sadly. Yeah. Right. No, and he, no, 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 no. Was he Which in the third one? Oh, he was in the third one. Yeah, but especially I was watching it, he had the red shirt on, I'm like, oh yeah, he died. <laughs> like in real yeah, life. Yeah. Uh, see, that's what he gets putting on a red shirt. And no, I don't mean to minimize it. It was a tragic death, but 
uh, I did think about that, and I and I too saw that you only put on a and they you know why tell them to put on a red shirt? Why not just go down to engineering? You know they yep. seem to make a real big point. Put on a red shirt, you know. Yeah, they 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 made it a point to say put on a red shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I I think they they wanted they have like a little bit of these meta things going on for for the audience which sometimes i like meta going on in my movies and other times i'm like no keep keep the meta out we'll have our memes on the internet <laughs> yeah leave us alone worry worry you all not we will have the memes with yeah. or without you do you know what's uh i think there's a fine line here between giving fans a little bit of fan service that we uh the little bows the little easter eggs that we like to see that kind of Let's us know that they're that they know our that they know us as an audience. But then there's the other part that uh, in this movie and what I hear, especially from uh, well, I think the three of you is that the that that there's a point where they push it a bit too far, especially with the con stuff. And so, like, whereas the red shirt that doesn't bother us, and we find it kind of cute. And we're like, oh, we know what that means, um, and even like seeing the Tribble, not maybe the whole transfusion thing, but seeing the Tribble there, you know, all those things are neat callbacks to the series. Um, but they, they, they do, they do struggle with, in this movie, it seems like they struggle with, oh, this is good, and then not knowing where to draw the line. It's the degrees uh, of it, I guess. I mean, a, a reference to a red shirt is, it's a, it, it's a nice small homage, uh, you know, and, and a, what, I guess what you Easter egg, maybe. Whereas you're you're retelling the story of Khan, and you, you, that's a tall order to do. I'm not saying it it couldn't be done, but I, 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 not not just like a broken record. I they I don't think they've done the best job of retelling this. Well, story. and it's that's really not a retelling. If you go, this is not the same storyline that you had in movie two. No, it's not. But it is a retelling. They do try to retell the right. story of Khan in this right. film. Right. No, no, no doubt. But I, I, mm. I, it's uh, but it's just it's it's a, uh, it's a different storyline, and it's again, as we said earlier, we don't need to maybe beat this dead horse. Just re- just don't call him Khan, and we're good. We're good to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you guys think of the Klingons in this one? This is like the fifth or sixth reinvention of the Klingons at that point. <laughs> they were, you know I- what. These these Klingons were pretty badass. Yeah, I, I think that, that they've kind of gave the Klingons their teeth. Yeah, yes, I agreed. I, I mean, they agreed. were scary. Uh, I, I actually like the their uniforms with with the mask slash helmets. Uh, I think them, you know, they, they land on their planet and you know they're lowering these ropes. These Klingons are coming down. It is a great image of them ready to. <laughs> ready to fight uh, oh yeah so um I, they were scary to me i think they were very effective and they still had the lobsters on their heads yeah they, were, they still kept the red foreheads you know which you know that's i mean it, a common maybe it's slightly different but you know still the common theme to what was before i, I think they also tried to i i guess with with What's very popular today with, with piercings, uh, it, it, when one guy took his helmet off, he had these piercings on his head, and um, some oh, people, yeah. some people yeah. found that uh, either interesting or, or hokey. I'm not sure which. 
Yeah. Well, and that, that entire scene, uh, great entrance for Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Yeah. That, when he that, comes in, it's like it's like Neo in the Matrix, just coming in and just just decimating them. <laughs> this is what the, I mean. I they they do very well with whether it's it's Khan or just one of the other Superman, just to see see what they can do. These genetic Supermen, and you give him a couple guns and a cannon and he could take out a squad of Klingons and get the have Captain Kirk, you know, just wail and beat the crap out of him and and just kind of look, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um well and that actually speaks to the the ethics that had been involved at the decision to stop making those genetic superhumans because we as a society would have had to have decided that our humanity is more important. The things that make us human are more important than the ability to, you know, have these crazy super soldiers to be able to like, you know, beat up these really aggressive aliens, you know, with like two guns and a cannon. And so that that's actually very interesting. Well, to think about, yeah, I, there's. I, I'm not sure if this line was used in original series. It might have been, but it was used in, in, in the TV show Enterprise when they dealt with the a remnant of these augments. Uh, Archer says this line about um, why genetic engineering on that level is is a bad idea. He said, "Superior breeding breeds superior ambition," and that's what you had with Khan in in, in the in the TV series. In, the, in that TV episode and the movie, and you have it with him in this this film also. But he he's reacting more to having been um, exploited uh, by the Starfleet admiral. But the movie does a good job of just showing what his abilities are in this. Uh, once you know he he wakes up, he's either playing possum or he just wakes up very quickly after getting hit by one phase of stun blast. And then in the, in the final scene where he's fighting Spock, it takes like five or six phaser stuns to kind of put him down. But he, you know, even then it takes Spock to break his arm to kind of uh, stop him. So again, this they do a good job of showing why Khan and these Supermen are just a bunch of badasses. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have one more comment because I'm gonna have to get going on in a little bit, but. I think it's important to highlight that we as a society, we're here. We have CRISPR technology now. There has been a scientist in China that has altered, you know, babies' genetics for a seeming good cause. But, you know, we can watch Star Trek. And this is one of the reasons why I love science fiction is because it kind of already tries to help us as a society deal with these issues before they actually become issues well we're here we're at the cusp of being able to have genetically altered superhumans and what are we going to do now that we're here hmm. uh, it's very question. true very true and i hear that i think that that i think that we are we we're at least if we're not we're not here yet we're really we're on the cusp of it yeah well and, and i think as a society we do a far better job as far as, as researching and developing technologies and going through, we don't pay near enough attention teaching and developing the 
ethical and theological or th- those aspects of our society to keep pace with everything else. Like I, I even just look at AI right now. We're to the point now with artificial intelligence. Where do we just what, what ethical construct do we have society as a society to base what we're doing off of? You know, we're going to program a supercomputer to do whatever. What's going into that? You know what I mean? The, the, the cloning thing too. We have the technology to do it, but where is our our moral and ethical culture? Where's that level at to, to, to even determine where we think about going? Yeah. And And what do we do when we as one culture culture have made these ethical decisions to be one way and then we're faced with other countries and other cultures that are making just the opposite decision and so now you have this military pressure of okay let's say united states europe you know most of the western world makes a decision we're not going to do that we believe this is ethically wrong and then say china or Russia or, you know, another country makes a decision of, actually, we want super soldiers and we're going to enge- genetically engineer them and kick your butts. What what are we going to do then? Because now it's now you have that pressure, just like we see here in the movie of he's saying, well, inevitable. So, you know, I'm going to have this secret arms race to make sure that we're the winners. And, you know, we see this in this we saw that in Star Wars The Clone Wars of, well, war is inevitable, so I'm going to make sure we have a clone army and ethics be damned. We're, we're going to make sure that we're going to win this. And, you know, I don't think it was an actual quote of, from Churchill, but people attribute it to him about, you know, well, why are you still funding like music and arts during this war? And it's like, well, if we don't fund them, then we're going to fundamentally lose who we are. And so the question will become where are we as a society going to draw the line between protecting our culture from being annihilated? If we don't keep up at the same time, how do we keep our culture from our own ambition and our own selves? And this is why this movie probably in some cases is a Star Trek movie because it does cause us to question uh, these, these issues, how you respond to these issues and how do you respond to issues of terrorism and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. and it's great that the movie, you know, came out in 2013, it's now 2019 and it's still relevant. And that's one of the reasons why I do really love science fiction is because the questions they ask years ago are still relevant today. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like I can watch you know, a film that's set in today's time asking about like today's questions. It's like, okay, well, those have been answered. We've, we've moved forward with that, but Star Trek is still asking these questions that, you know, they asked back in the sixties and seventies and eighties, and they're still relevant today. And I think very quickly, we're going to need to start rather than just like, Oh, postulating about them in in film and movies, we're going to have to really start sitting down as a society 
and figuring it out. So with that, I do have to get going. I know. Talk. Um, (laughs) So Mike, drop and leave. I get it. (laughs) Well, Chrissy, thank you for joining us tonight, and I hope you feel better. That was good, Chrissy. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Hey, we'll catch. Well, you know, I wanted to run. I wanted Chrissy mentioned something that I did want to run back to in our maybe Dave. You did. I forget who mentioned it, but the fight scene on the vehicle where they take down Khan. I did I did find it a bit bothersome that these two people from Starfleet uh going up against a super soldier with a phaser and uh are able to take him down. And maybe maybe uh I don't. I don't know how you would have taken Khan down. You know, if there would have been a better way. And I, certainly, it was kind of. It was certainly a tense and engaging scene. The fight, uh, but I did. I just felt like they shouldn't have been able to do that. And maybe I'm wrong in feeling that way. But it, it just, well, they were trying. They were ahead. trying to. They had to take him alive. Right. So that already eliminated every extreme. Well, not extreme, but. He, a certain level of force is now taken right off the table. Right. I uh, I don't know. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Scott. Uh, the, the only thing is, if anybody could fi- anybody could come close to physically taking on Khan, it wouldn't Spock. Spock is half Vulcan. He has the Vulcan strength and everything. Uh, and even then, he 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 had uh, difficulties with it. Um, Ahura had to shoot Khan with the phaser five times just to slow him down. Um, and all Kirk had to do was pull a stick out of the engineering console and whack him a couple of times with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> Different timeline. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, again, this is the fi- this is one of the final scenes in the movie. Final action scenes. Uh, it, it's played. It, it's played for for uh, being visually cool as opposed to maybe being believable. I guess. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. It, there's no doubt that this 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 movie, you know, Star Trek aside, is as Dave, you and I talked. I think it was today or yesterday great action movie you know mm-hmm. certainly it, it engages you it has you on the edge of your seat uh, multiple points you know them flying through the atmosphere in this are uh, in, in space in the space suits and kirk's helmet's cracking and you're like is he gonna make you know he's gonna make it but you're like is he gonna make it and you're like you're going through this little yeah and they're, they're going through this tiny hole and is simon Pegg gonna open it up i mean there's so many the the, the way they the, the storytelling is was was good storytelling to engage a theater audience. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, and visually, this was, I, 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 they did some really cool things visually that they hadn't done before. Cause they didn't like no lens flare. <laughs> <laughs> well, just going back to the beginning, uh, the enterprise, now some people may, may not like the idea, the idea of the enterprise kind of hiding under the ocean. Uh, I thought it was cool, and the Enterprise coming out of the water like that—that that was cool. And, and, and 
what and seeing the, the native populations see the enterprise fly away. Um, see, one thing I like that scene, just going back, I thought the whole prime directive thing was like the, 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 these, these natives see what's happening. The, the, this chief or priest, he drops the scroll and, um, he draws an outline of the ship. So it's like, yeah, let's, we're going to change religions now, whatever that is, that's our new God. Um, and that to me, that harkened back. Uh, I don't remember the name of the episode, Dave, you might remember the episode of Voyager where Voyager goes to this planet and they get s- s- stuck there. The time on this planet is accelerated, but the people on this planet see Voyager in their, in their past and, and Voyager becomes like a part of their religion throughout their throughout its, its planet's history. And yeah. so it's kind of, that, that kind of harkened back to that to me a little bit. Yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, the, the episode will lose me at the moment, but yeah. So I, that's another reason why I like that scene is because yes, there, there, there was a consequence of them doing what they did. Um, um, I thought visually went the, the, the whole, the battle between the enterprise and the, and the vengeance was incredible. Um, they did some cool things with the gravity failing on the ship. I mean, inside the ship, they did some cool stuff, uh, with the gravity all messed up. Um, and in the end when the enterprise, after Kirk gets the, the main power back on the enterprise is flying up in the clouds. Oh, that was a know, beautiful I, scene. When you see it go through the clouds and come back up and the clouds are rolling off, you we were like, Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it, the enterprise just had, had, had the crap kicked out of it, but it's still, you know, kind of like rising out of the, uh, Ashes like a phoenix. I, th- I thought was uh... so. Yeah, visually this film was was gorgeous. They did some really cool things uh, we hadn't seen before. Uh, like I said before, um, I'm conflicted with this movie. It, it does a lot. I think it does accomplishes a lot of good things in it. Um, the film tries to be a retelling of Space Seed and Wrath of Khan, um, while at the same time being a great action. Uh, adventure film um the the part where it tries t- to be a retelling of the, those past star trek stories it doesn't just do such a great job on uh, but it does a lot of other good things for it. it's still an enjoyable film uh benedict cumberbatch he could have been Khan or john harrison he was a great villain and he's he's one of the best actors in the world right now and he he was enjoyable to watch throughout this I, I'm with Chris. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give it a B minus. Ooh, we're gonna get a rating. Very good. So we're grading it on a like an A B C day down through scale. Good. Yeah. yeah. So Dave, how, how about you? Uh, other comments you want to make about this film, and uh, then your rating. Despite the great action, the terrific acting, more truly humorous one-liners throughout the whole show. Oh, we didn't even talk about them, but. Yeah, I can't even remember half of them off the top of my head now. Because for me, the stuff they did, they screwed with it and tried to swing above their weight class a little bit as far as Trek goes, the Trek side of it goes. I give it a C minus. If if I've got two movies in front of me to watch, one of them being Into Darkness and the other one being the motion picture... I'm going with a motion picture, but that's just me. Right. See, now if you would pair this and say, 
Star Trek Four versus this. Star Trek Four would win, but not the motion picture for me. I, I, I'm close. I'm close. I'm a few times out watching it again to actually pair it up with uh, Star Trek Five. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, it this movie. For, yeah. So this movie for me, a, a real enjoyable watch. If you're looking at introducing a, a new generation to Star Trek uh, and getting them into Star Trek and maybe having them go back and rewatch original series all down through. Uh, then this is a good movie for that. It, certainly, I get, I get, I get the purists and the people that say this is not con, or why did why couldn't we come up with another story, or did we have to do con? I get all that, um, and it does suffer from some problems, uh, you know, where we have people teleporting or, or stargating across the universe and. Uh, uh, which is not really track. Um, you know, I find myself, even having watched this movie like two or three times, missing that stuff and being engaged in the story itself. Uh, is it the fact that I'm able to get lost into the story time and time again when I watch it says something to me. So for me, like if I'm going to rank this movie, is it my favorite Star Trek movie? Uh, probably not. Uh, but I'm going to give it an A minus. Give it a not not an A, not an A plus, A minus. Not not because it's a Star Trek movie, because I'm enjoying the movie. If you want me to evaluate it on being Star Trek, it might be a little bit lower. Um, but I found myself engaged. I watched it, and I uh, was very very excited to see where it went. And there were just so many beautiful moments, um, highlighting the Enterprise and. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Fair so those enough. are my so those are my thoughts and uh uh we would love to hear your thoughts listeners uh, what you thought of in the darkness and you can just email us at the sci-fi Niner podcast at gmail.com message us on Facebook and uh we will uh interact with you there. And if you want to try and convince Dave that this is the best Star Trek movie ever, do so on <laughs> Facebook. He would love to hear your thoughts and understand why that is. Well, very good. And next week we are, uh, I guess in two weeks, we're going to be reviewing Avengers. We aren't going to talk Avengers tonight, but if you went and see Avengers and who didn't really, um, but if you haven't, um, we would love to hear your thoughts on it because we're going to have an Avengers theme show the next time. I can't wait. Yes, we neither. It'll be good. And that means, Dave, you have to see it. You have your tickets already, right? Got my tickets already for Saturday. Sounds good. Sounds good. Drink lots of soda beforehand. No, no. <laughs> three yeah. hours, Dave. It's three my, hours. My uh, tiny bladder can't handle it. Yeah, li- 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 liquid fast. <laughs> <laughs> Bring a bedpan with you. And then you're- I'll have to <laughs> catheter right in there. <laughs> oh, my. Well, guys, it's been great podcast tonight. Sounds fantastic. Miles, why don't you take us out? Okay. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Go boldly. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. <laughs>